right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on Victory in Jesus. This is part three, uh, part three of uh, uh, hopefully a uh, four-part series. Hopefully we'll, we'll wrap up next week. But uh, that's the point time, we're in part three. And uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org and we're on our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. In case you want, would like to give and support our ministry, we thank you to all those who have. And you can simply go to our website, lighthouseassemblyship.org, and you can uh, go to the Give page and give all the information there. And we give thanks to all those who have supported us so we can bring the gospel around the world. And so we've been doing that for the last almost 10 years now. And so we, we thank God for that. So anyway, um, with that in mind, uh, we're just going to jump right into the message. I have a lot to cover this morning. We're talking about victory in Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. And one of our key verses is from 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. There's a lot in this verse, but the main thing we're focused on is that we're talking about victory in Jesus, and that God, God through Christ, always, always, not sometimes, not most of the time, always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now we've been going through the book of Ephesians, from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, to the end of chapter 6, and we've been taking this kind of verse by verse, and we've broken it down where the first three books talked about how we start from a place of victory. And then we get into chapters 4 and 5 talk about how we walk in that victory, because we are in victory, we're born into victory, how we walk it out. And then in chapter 6 we talk about uh, how we stand against the devil. A lot of the church, a lot of many people, they start with first chapter 6, trying to fight the devil so that they can walk in victory, so they can have somehow attain victory. And that's backwards. We start from a position of victory. We need to identify with that. And then we learn how to walk that victory out. And then, then based on that premise, we simply just stand against the devil. And we have and the devil, when we know when we know who we are in Christ, when we know that we have the victory in Christ Jesus, the devil is no match for us. And so we, we, we stand in victory. So we are we we learned in chapter one that we're people of victory. <coughs> Excuse me. We're blessed, we're chosen, we're holy, we're blameless, we've been predestined to succeed, we've been uh, accepted in the beloved, we are redeemed from every curse, we are, we are forgiven from every sin. We learned that we are bought by Jesus' blood, and we have promises of victory. We learned that we're still with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, and we pray for that position of victory. When you read Paul's prayers, and Paul has two of them in the book of Ephesians, one, chapter 1 in chapter 1 and 1 in chapter 3, Paul, when Paul prays, and it, it behooves us to study how Paul prays, because how Paul prays is how we should pray. And Paul prayed, when Paul prayed, he never mentions weakness, he never mentions fear or lack or insecurity or inability. He always, when Paul prays, he talk, always talks about who Christ is, who we are, and what God has called to do, and what God has invested in us to get that job done. So we, we are bound with the blood of Jesus. We learned that already in chapters 1 through 3. We're still with this Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. And we, we, and we begin to pray from a place of victory. 
excuse me, in the chapters 1 to 3, we, our, one of our key verses is in Ephesians chapter 2, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We start from a place of victory. We start from this place. Excuse me. The victory has already been won to the finished work of Christ, and we're sitting in a position of victory, and this is where it begins for us. This is where this new life in Christ begins for us. We begin from a place of victory. The blood, we, and what brings us victory? This, the victory is brought because of the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus made the Holy Spirit a possibility. And the Holy Spirit made, us, made Christ in you a reality. In chapter 3, we learned that there's two revelations every believer needs to, to, to have. And you can only receive these revelations by the Holy Spirit. I can teach it to you. I can inform you. And that's all wonderful, fine and good, excuse me. But you need to have a revelation of it. And I can't give that revelation for you. <coughs> that revelation must come by the Holy Spirit. And the revelation is this, that, that the revelation that we need to know is that who we are in Christ and what God says, says, uh, excuse me, I have to read my notes here. What, what God says about you. We need to know who we are in Christ, and we need to know what God says about us. We need to know who we are in Christ, and we need to know the love of God. That we're something, we need to know what He says about us. Okay? Because when we know who we are in Christ, and we know the love of God, what God says about us and His love, it will change your world. It will revolutionize your life. It will change your life forever. And everything in life will flow from that premise. Okay? See, it doesn't matter what anyone else says or what anyone else does. It matters what Jesus says. Okay? And one of our key verses in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, is it now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God, because we are, we know his love, his love surpasses knowledge, and we're filled with his very fullness. He is able to do above beyond we can ever ask or think. How does that work? Because according to that power that works in us. What power? What power works in us? Well, we can talk about the power that we are born again out of incredible but incredible seed. We can talk about the power of that raised Christ from the dead in you. <coughs> which is echoed in Paul's first prayer, according to the work of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We can also talk about the power of the Holy Spirit is in you because of the blood of Jesus. And we can also talk about this whole power to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. When we when we know his love, when we know that Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's powerful. When you know that you have the fullness of God in you, when you know his love, when you know what it really means for Christ, you to be in Christ and Christ in you, that Christ has taken a residence on the inside of you. We're not looking for a visitation of the Holy Spirit. We are looking for an inhabitation of the Holy Spirit. Christ, the fullness of God, is inside of you. 
and that's powerful. You can't get anything, excuse me, more powerful than the fullness of God being in here. And when we know this love, when we know the love that surpasses knowledge, why? Because the love of God has been shed at the bottom of our heart by the Holy Spirit. And it's that love, the fullness of God, God who is love, is His power that is work in us. And we can get a revelation of all that I'm trying to convey and all that I taught about in the last two weeks, the first two weeks, by the Holy Spirit. We need to get that revelation from God. But now that we talked about in the last two weeks, we talked about, we spent a lot of time in the last two weeks talking from Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 about how we start from a place of victory. Okay, if we start from this place, we're seated with Him together in heavenly places. Now we're going to learn in, in chapters 4 and 5. How do we walk that out? That's what we're going to know this week. How do we walk that out? Because this is true. <coughs> we're not just sitting there being lazy until Jesus comes back. We're sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but we have a job to do. We have a job description. We have something to do. We need to walk this out. Yes, we're sitting. We're sitting, but we're still sitting walking. Okay? And we need to learn how to walk this out. We need to walk it out in the world. And one of our key verses for this morning, as we go through chapters 4 and 5, will be from chapter 5, verse 8, where you were once in darkness, but now you are in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were once darkness, but now you are in heavenly places. You are in the light. Okay? In the Lord. Now walk like children of light. Walk like who you are. Okay? And so that's where we're going to be going. Understanding who you are and who Christ is in you will change your life forever. It will change how you walk. It will change how you live. When you know this to be true, when you know that you know that you know that you are now in the light, it will change how you walk. It will change how you live. It will change your life forever. And when you understand this, I bet you get through this. You'll have you'll have all of the wisdom. You'll not only have this revelation that you'll see with him in heaven places, but you'll have this revelation of how to walk. And then it will be very easy to stand in the armor of light against the devil. Okay, it will be easy to with with the armor of God, which we'll get into next week, withstand the evil day, having done all the standards to stand. What are you standing in? You're standing in that you're sitting with him in heavenly places. You're standing in that you are children of the light. And you're walking that way. And when you're walking that way, you realize you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are born of God. And you're filled with the force of God. Okay? And when we, when this all this true, we can submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So many people are trying to resist the devil, but they're not submitting to God. We, everything we're trying to teach here in Ephesians chapters 1 through 5 is how to submit to God first. And then we resist the devil. He just flees. Okay. So, but if you, if you don't submit to the God first, if you try to resist the devil, and you, but you don't submit to God, if you don't submit to God, period, you are opening that inroad for Satan to come into your life. Okay. But if we submit to God, Walk this victory out that we already have in Christ Jesus. And the devil's no match for you. You begin to grow from a position of 
this victory as we walk at out in the Lord. Excuse me. I had a hair on my tongue. <laughs> so, anyway, how do you get rid of that? Uh, you, you give them a position of victory. You walk it out in this world. So, again, the key verse for this morning is going to be from Ephesians 5 8. You were once in darkness, but now you're in light. Now walk as children of light. So with all that recap and then also introduction to this morning's message, let's go ahead and start from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the cause on which you were called. So remember, we're talking about, we talk, already talked about in the first three uh, chapters uh, that we start from a place of victory. Okay, remember that? We, we just talked about that. Now we're talking about, starting in chapters 4 and 5, how do we walk that out? So how do you walk this victory out? My first point starts off right off the cuff. How do you walk it out? You walk it out by walking worthy of your calling by what you're called. And we're going to build that. We've got many sub-points to this, and then we're going to build on that. We have three main, uh, five main points this morning. Okay? So you, how do you walk it out? You, in other words, let, let me let, back up just a minute. It says, walk worthy of your calling. And one, as someone once teach me that this word calling means invitation. You've been invited to something. You have been invited to a calling. You have some, You are called. You have a job description from God. Okay, God has given you a job description. So how do you walk it out? You've been, you're seated with him in heavenly places. You are in victory. You started from victory. How do you walk it out? You walk. You, you walk worthy of the calling of what you call. You walk worthy of this invitation of being in Christ Jesus. Am I making sense so far? Okay. God has given you a job description, and we need to walk worthy of that calling. We need to walk worthy of the calling by which we were called. Well, how do you walk worthy of the calling by which you're called? Well, the first sub-point of this first main point is that you walk in lowliness. You, in other words, also known from the Amplified, humility. So let's just keep it simple, humility. You walk in humility. Okay? See, it's, uh, this game of Andrew Murray, it's not sin that humbles us, it's his grace. See, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we walk in humility towards God because of His grace. His grace will, will humble you, not sin. And we not only walk with grace towards God, we also walk with, excuse me, we not only walk in humility towards God, we walk in humility towards God each other. When I think of humility, I think of David on the scene of, 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 of Goliath. See, Saul and the armies of Israel were wallowing in, in insecurity and fear. That's pride. But David was walking and it looked like he was being, uh, it looked like he was haughty and, 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 uh, and uh, you know, full of pride and arrogance. But he was just secure in who his God was. He was the most humble man on the scene, and he 
through by God's grace and with humility, he actually over, he overcame the situation. Okay, so the first point, sub point is we are walking worthy of the calling by which we're called. How do we do that? First thing is we walk in humility. The second thing, verse four three, endeavoring to keep the unity in the spirit, but in the bond of peace. So it's point sub point two is that we walk in unity. How do you walk worthy of <coughs> Excuse me. How do you walk worthy of the calling by which you're called? First, you walk in humility. Second, you walk in unity. Paul has a lot to say here in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 about unity. Okay? And when we're talking about unity, we're not talking about racism. No, that's strife. Okay? Unity is an act of humility. It's seeing Christ in others. It's looking for the good in every person. Some of you are so religious that you are looking for a devil behind every rock. You're looking for the devil in every person. We need to look for the good in every person. We need to see Christ in others. He goes on to say, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. What have you been called to do? Well, in context, he's, we're supposed to be walk worthy of our calling. We're supposed to walk in humility. We're supposed to walk in unity. We're supposed to walk in unity in the body of Christ. If your body is not unified with one another, if your hand is not unified with your toes, who's to we have a problem? Your body and all the systems of your body need to walk in unity. If the immune system thinks it's greater than the nervous system, who's then we have a problem? The body must work in walking unity. And when the body is walking in unity, we're going to have a good day. Okay? Things are going to go well. When a member of our body is not working, is working in walking in strife with another member of the body, we're going to have problems. Not not just between those two members, the whole body is going to be uh, suffer. Okay, but we need to. There is one body, one spirit, just as you would call it, and one hope of your calling. Okay, let's build on that. So, first of all. Let me just make something very simple here. What have we been called to? There's a lot I can expound on that. But one thing we've been called to is that we are we don't be conformed. We would be conformed to the image of the Son. We've been predestined. We have a destiny by God to be conformed to the image of the Son. We've been called to that. I can actually combine everything I've been talking about to make this point. We've been called to conform to the image. Of his son. We've been created in his image and likeness. We've been reborn. We're born of God. Okay? We are the righteous God in him. Anyway, I could expound on that, but I'm going to leave that there for now. Okay? Um, let's move on. Verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord. Who's our Lord? Jesus. <coughs> One faith, one faith, faith of Jesus. Okay? It's not just any faith, it's the faith of Christ. 
one baptism. Now it says here it's singular, one baptism. And if you know your Bible, if you're a student of the Word, you know that in Hebrews chapter 6 and any other places, there's a doctrine of baptisms, plural. And there's three baptisms, and I'll expand on that in just a second. But when it says one baptism, we know that it's talking about one baptism that would be common to every believer. And what's the one baptism that's common to every believer? Well, in Corinthians it says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. When you're born again, you are baptized into the body of Christ. Okay? I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I do want to highlight the other two baptisms. <clears throat> okay? When you... See, the first baptism is that when you are a new believer, you are baptized into the body of Christ. And every believer, when they're born again, are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Every, and every believer can, can receive this baptism. And then there's other those who are baptized into water. They're baptized into water by another believer so that they're identified with Jesus Christ in his baptism, in his death and resurrection. And there's also a third baptism, which every believer can have, but not every believer has received, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit by fire. So, see, when, when you think of these three baptisms real quick, and I've talked about this in length and times past, <clears throat> but they've got three different baptisms. We have the baptism of salvation, and every, every baptism, excuse me, let me slow down, every baptism you need to know who's the baptizer, who's being baptized, and what's the, what's the, uh, what you're being baptized into. You need to have the chip, the dip, and, and, and the dipper, okay? So that, think about it that way, okay? But in salvation baptism, you are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. In water baptism, you are baptized into water by another believer. In the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are baptized into the Holy Spirit by Jesus. And I can give you scriptures for all these, but we're not going to go there this morning. But in context here, we're talking about one baptism. So we're talking about one baptism that's for everybody. That's automatic for everybody. And the, one, the only one that's automatic for everybody, see, water baptism, it's not automatic. You need to get in water. You can't just be automatically baptized in water unless you actually are baptized by another believer in water. You're going to have to get wet. Okay? And there's a process for that. The Holy Spirit baptism is not automatic. You have to receive it. Okay? And there's scripture for that as well. <coughs> but this one, there's one baptism that is automatic for everybody. And it fits the context here because we're talking about one body. And one body, you're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit when you become born again. Okay? Let's, let's move on. One God, one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We ought to quit, in other words, you know, I can expand on this in a lot of different ways, but I'm trying to not just put this first, but in context. What, what's Paul saying here? You know, in many ways, and I want to bring out to some of our discussions today that we see all over Facebook and many other conversations. 
Some of you just need to stop splitting hairs of things that are just dividing the body of Christ. Some of you are arguing about stuff that doesn't matter and does not amount to anything. As, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, some of you strain at a gnat or swallow a camel. Some of you are pointing out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a big log in your own eye. Okay? And so we need to be mindful of that. We ought to find, we agree on Jesus. We are one body. We are baptized into the body of Christ. And we need to just keep that our focus, keep the main thing the main thing. We need to agree that his blood has washed us from every sin. We need to keep our focus on Jesus, and we need to agree on Jesus. And there's some other things we just don't need to get involved in arguing and putting the hairs on. Okay? Let me just say this on that. You know, I've received a great revelation from some people who I don't necessarily like or even agree with on many things. We may be completely different on so many different levels. But if some people were completely different on so many different levels, I have still gotten great revelations from them. Okay? See, I try to, and I'm not perfect at this, I try to find out what's right in people, not just picking out what's wrong. Sometimes when I'm scrolling from Facebook, I have to watch myself, but people, you know, Facebook, there's just many people who are just preaching a bunch of junk. And they're not preaching a bunch of junk on the non-essentials, they're preaching a bunch of junk on the essentials. They're preaching things that are just totally against the gospel of Christ. And it's hard for me to keep my mouth shut when I come across those. <coughs> yeah, I want to agree on one thing, and one main thing, is that Jesus, and yet nothing they're preaching has anything to do with Jesus. They're actually negating the cross. And that, that's where I get my feather gear up. Anyway, I didn't get off that track. Now, Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, when we have this attitude, well, I'm a Paul, and another says, I'm a Paul. In other words, Paul is saying, you need to grow up, man. You need to start looking to Jesus. It's not about whether you're Paul, a Paul or Paulus, or whether you're this ministry or this ministry or this denomination or this denomination. I'm of Jesus. <laughs> You're of Jesus. Get rid of this, all this other labeling and junk and whatever, okay? Who cares about any of that? Okay, that we're just carnal when we're like that. We're just, we're just immature. So, anyway, let's get back to our message here. So, how do we walk worthy of our calling? That's what we're talking about right now, okay? How do we walk worthy of our calling? We walk in humility. We walk in unity. And now we walk in the grace gifts. What is the grace gift? Now I'm not going to go into the gifts that we, we, we know about in Corinthians. But in context here in Ephesians, we're going to be talking about some grace gifts. Okay? Let's look at those. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Okay? See, Jesus already stripped the Satan of his power. He already disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them. In it. Okay? And so here he says, he's, he, 
ascended on high, and he led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. So we need to walk in ability, walk in big unity, and walk in great gifts. But let's, let's go on here, verse 9, because he has this in parentheses here. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth, he, he went to hell, conquered the devil, and then he ascended on high with the heaven, and far above all heavens that he might be fill all things. Okay? That already took place. But he gave the gifts to men. What were the gifts that he gave to men? Well, verse 11. Because this, this was just parentheses. This was just parentheses of what he just said in, in verse 8. Can you follow me? Okay? That's just parentheses. He's just expounding on uh, what he meant by he sent on high the captivity captain and gave gifts to men. Well, what are the gifts to men? Well, that's outside the parentheses. And he himself gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this, but one, there's one key word I want you to see here, is that the word some. Not everybody's an apostle. Not everybody's an evangelist or a pastor. Okay? Some. Okay? Are we all able ministers in the covenant? Second Corinthians 3, 6? Yes. But we're not all in the fivefold ministry. Some have been called. And your pastor... Evangelists, teachers, they're gifts. They're gifts to the body of Christ. Okay? They're gifts. Okay? Now, Pastor Lawson Purdue gives you this gives me gives this analogy. I like it. I'm just gonna use it this morning. But the apostles like the thumb. Because it works clear, it works good with the other five, the other four uh, office gifts. Okay? The prophet's like the pointing finger. In, in the New Testament, you have the seer. I mean, let me just point a fact out that Lawson brings out his teaching. There's more prophets mentioned in the Bible than there are pastors. Okay? But a seer, a, a prophet, is, is, is a pointing finger. He reveals stuff. In the New Testament, he gives a word of knowledge, words of wisdom, and discerning the spirits. He, they flow frequently in those spiritual gifts. Then the, you have the evangelist, the middle finger. And we're not using that in a negative way, in a, in a positive way. You can actually go to the uh, Acts, book of Acts and how Philip, he's the only uh, mentioned evangelist in, in the New Testament. Excuse me, I know there were more, but he's the only mentioned one. But Philip, he preached Christ to them and there was they saw miracles and that he did. A lot of evangelists will operate very strongly in the gifts of faith and the gift of miracles and, uh, and, and healing. Okay? Um, and then we have the pastor. The pastor is the ring finger. Why the ring finger? Because the pastor, in many ways, is married to the church. He loves the church. He's, he, he's in love. He cares for the church. Now, it says pastor and teacher because if you're a pastor, you also need to teach. People can't grow up and mature in God if they're not taught. The only way you're going to pastor people, the best way, is you've got to teach them. You can teach them one-on-one -on -one through counseling, but you can also teach them one-on-one in an assembly manner. Okay? And then there's teachers. Teachers goes with the, the pinky finger. My wife loves this one, but it, it helps clean out your ear. Okay? 
And so it, it goes in deep, okay? But let me just make this point. You can be a teacher but not a pastor, but you can't be a pastor and not teach. Did you hear that? You can be a teacher, which is part of the five-fold ministry, that's right, there's five, but you can't be a pastor and not teach. Okay? Now, a teacher, he makes it simple. See, a, a teacher, you don't walk away, what did he just say? No, he, he breaks it down. He cuts the steak in small bites, tight pieces. Okay? And if he needs to, he'll make baby food out of it. So you, you can, not to water it down, but to make it digestible for you. So you can so you can grow up. So you can mature. Okay? But anyway, I can spend more time on this. But now when I go to verses 12 to 16, which is one sentence. But I'm going to look at the King James verses for these, for these five verses. In verse 12, he gave these gifts. He gave these gifts to the church. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He gave not only pastors, but he gave prophets and apostles and evangelists for the perfecting, for the maturing, for the equipping of the saints. Why? What? My job is to equip you. My job is to help perfect you. As Paul said in Thessalonians, I come to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. My job is to perfect the, the work of me. See, the, the, the job description from God for these five gifts is right. But the job description for all five of these gifts is right here. They all function differently. A prophet functions differently than a pastor and, and, and so on. But my job is to perfect you for the work of the ministry. So who's doing the ministry? You are. The saints. The saints. You're saved because you are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. You're not saved because of what the Catholic Church says. Okay. You're saved because you're sanctified by the blood of Jesus. My job, our job in the fivefold ministry is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. What's your job? For the edifying of the body of Christ. My job is to equip you for this ministry. What's ministry? Serving. How do you serve? You build one another up. You edify one another. The reason why one reason is why I like the King James is because there's a column here. What does that look like? What does the work of the minute what does building one another up look like? <coughs> Excuse me. Until we all come to the unity of the faith. Of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the forms of Christ. My job is to help equip you for the work of the ministry so that you can edify one another till we all come to the unity of the faith and the perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the faith. My job is to equip you to help so that we all come, not just you and not just me, but we all come to the measure of the stature of the forms of Christ. Well, verse 13 of the colon again. What does that look like? Have we henceforth be no more children? Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of man and cunning crafties, whereby they lie waiting to deceive. We all want, to, my job is to equip you so that you can edify, build one another up, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the measure of the fullness of Christ. 
so that we're no longer children. We're immature. This is all talking about maturity. My job, job is to equip you to help one another mature. Till we all come. Till we all come. Not till some of us come. Till we all come. Now, this is some. This is all. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Okay? Because then we're no longer like children. What's wrong with children? Children are awesome. We were all a child once. Okay? If children are bad, we're all bad. Because we were all a child once. But the same about children, they're not the same about adults. Children are gullible. And because they're gullible, they can be tossed to and fro by everyone in doctrine. They don't, they're not perfected in Christ. They're not come to the unity of it. They haven't come yet to the full measure of the stature of Christ. They need to mature. So they're not gullible and tossed by everyone in doctrine. <coughs> Excuse me. Children are also um, codependent. There's a season when your five-year-old needs to go to dependent. You can't just tell your toddler, hey, go get a job. Cook your own meal. Change your own diaper. It doesn't work that way. As they get closer and closer to adulthood, they become more independent. We train our child so that when they do become adults, they can go get a job. And they can get along in society with one another. We train them not only academics, but we also teach them social skills. We also train them in the Lord that they won't depart from it. Okay? Children are not only gullible and codependent, but children also, just by natural, they can't reproduce. A child, a child can't do this yet. A child can't edify others yet. They can't to a certain level where they continue to grow. I've seen five-year-olds lead people to Christ. I've seen children lead people to Christ and heal the sick. I've seen a five-year-old lay hands on a blind person and they get their sight. I've seen that happen. But a, the, at some point, that child was taught. And some children have learned the lesson a lot faster than some of us adults. Children learn fast. But they're children. And there's some children... Be, you know, when I'm talking about children... I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about maturity. There's some children, there's some five-year-olds that are more mature than some 50-year-olds. Okay, that's sad, but it's true. Okay, and so, anyway, uh, leave the, uh, take that and leave that. It goes on, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. That's what we're doing here. We're edifying one another in love. Not in spite, not in malice. But may grow up, that's maturity, in him are all things. <coughs> Excuse me, which is ahead even Christ. Well, there's another colon. There's three colons in the sentence. There's one sentence, five verses. Of whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Every one of us has a part to play. You have a part to, to, to keep the body together. You have a Part to play to keep every joint fitted together. You all have that part. That is a responsibility for not only the clergy, the Bible ministry, but also for every person. Okay? According to the effectual working and the measure of every part, make an increase unto the edifying itself in love. We are supposed to be a body where we edify ourselves in 
I could spend, spend a lot more teaching on this, but we need to grow up into him in all things. This is a gift he's given to the church. And this gift is to equip you for the work of ministry. And what is your ministry? To edify yourself in love. To work together with one another. To help grow one another up into Christ and to all things. Okay? Hopefully this is making sense. So that's that's what the, the work of the ministry is for. So that we can get to this point where every joint supply it. And the whole thing is edifying itself in love. We are supposed to edify the body of Christ. Excuse me. So that the body of Christ can edify itself in love. Okay? So again, recap real quick. We're supposed to walk worthy of his calling. We do that by walking in humility. We do that by walking in unity. We do that by walking in the grace gift. Well, what's the grace gift? Christ gives to the church the fivefold ministry so we can walk in love, that we can walk in maturity. Okay? So the first point that I've made so far is that we walk worthy of our calling. I have three sub-points to that. But let's walk worthy of our calling. We start from a place of victory. We're born into victory. Well, how do we walk it out? First thing is, we walk in worthy of our calling. The second point I'm going to bring out, verse 17, is that I say therefore and testify the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the fertility of the mind. You walk worthy of your calling, and you stop walking like the world. You stop walking like a heathen. You stop walking like an unbeliever. You're a believer. You are born again. Start acting like it. Start living like it. You're holy. You're blameless. You're sanctified. You're the righteousness of God in Him. Start living like it. Start walking. Walk worthy of your calling and stop living like the devil. John 15, 19 says, You were of the world. The world would, would love its own. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world... But I chose you to be out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You were in darkness, but you're not in darkness. You're not of the world anymore. It said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop living like the world. That's not who you are. That's who you were, but that's not who you are anymore. See, no longer walking... As the rest of the child, in the vanity of their mind, in the futility of their mind, in the vanity of their mind, in the emptiness of their mind. See, if, when you were in the world, when you were of the devil, you had futility in your mind. You had vanity in your mind. You had emptiness in your mind. Excuse me. And Romans 8 6 says, To be carnally minded is death. We were dead, but now we're alive. Okay? He builds on this, verse 18, having their understanding darkened and being alienated in the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness of the heart. He's explaining how you were. You were your understanding was darkened. You were alienated from the life of God. You were, your heart was blind. Am <coughs> I making sense? This is how you were before you received Christ. Okay? You are walking in the light. Why? Because you are now a child of the light. You are walking worthy of your calling and stop living, walking like the world. Okay? 
You know, I believe this is a perfect definition of what being unsaved is like. What spiritual death is like. Alienated from the life of God. It's the best definition of spiritual death I've been able to find in Scripture. It goes on to say, well, actually, let's bounce back. Second witness says, but, see, we were alienated from the life of God. Our, our understanding was darkened. Our heart was blinded. See, our gospel was built through the mind of God. It was blinded until the light of the gospel, which is a who. It's not an it. It's a who. His name is Jesus. Shine on us. We, our hearts were darkened. Okay, our hearts were darkened. They were blinded until the light of the gospel shined on us. And then he goes on to say, from here, we're ended from the light of God. And that, that's who you were in the past. Pastor, having given themselves over to the lewdness and to the work of cleanliness with greediness. We'll, we'll touch space on some of this other stuff in just a minute. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now, I could spend hours in this, in this passage, and I have in past time. You have not so learned Christ. You have not been so saturated, imbued with Christ, as the truth is in Jesus. See, the first point I made this morning is that we walk one to be calling unity, walking spiritual gift. The second point I'm missing right now is that you walk, don't walk like the world. And my sub-points to my second point here, my first sub-point to this point, not only do you not walk like the world, you walk in Jesus. You walk in the truth. Okay? Where's the truth? In Jesus. But I want you to notice that there's a colon here again. What does this truth look like? Well, the truth is that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which was corrupt according to the secret lust, and be renewed in your mind. The truth that you need to so learn, that's in Jesus, is that you crucify the old man. You put him off and be renewed in your mind. Being renewed in your mind is another word that we call repentance. Repentance is a Greek word, metatonia, and it means to change your mind. What are you changing your mind? That you are putting off the old man. Now I'll come back to that in just a minute. But it says, we do this in the, what do we do this? In our mind. We walk in the truth, we're so learned. We walk into, we put off the old man being renewed in our mind. This word renewed means to renovate. It's also echoed in Romans 12, 1. But I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you partake by the holy living sacrifice, which is the original service, and do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing, the renovation of your mind. It means to renovate. A total renovation. Sherry and I, we were, we were just looking at a house yesterday, and we're not house shop, shopping right now, but sometimes in our spare time when we're just bored and we go looking at houses, open houses, and we look at an open house, they just remodeled it, and it was so modern that Sherry, I, I mean, I just walked away saying, I would have to remodel again. 
it was so modern. And uh, I mean, I would knock out this wall that they just put up. I would take out the fake grass and put in real grass and this and that and whatnot. They just renovated to make it look nice, but to me, it, was, it, was, it wasn't homey. Okay, it was so modern, I felt like I was in a hospital. Um, it just, uh, you know, just anyway. But we know not why. We need to renew why. So there's kind of two points here that I'm making under the sub point. Don't walk like the world. The first one is that we walk in the truth. And the second one, and I should have highlighted differently, we need to renew our mind. Stop walking the truth and renew your mind. Okay? It's an absolute re renovation. Let's go, it goes on to say in verse 24. So we'll do what we got so far. Okay? That we put off the old man and and, and, and the spirit of mind, we put on the new man, which is created beyond the true rights of holiness. How do we walk this out? We, we start from a place of victory. We walk worthy of this calling in humility, in unity, using the spiritual gifts. We don't walk like the heathen, heathen do. We walk in the truth and we renew our minds. What are we renewing our minds? We put off the old, old man and we put on the new man. We put on Jesus. Who is created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. There's only one thing that can make you truly righteous and holy. Excuse me. And that's the blood of Jesus. But you put this off and put this on. By turning to Jesus, you turn from sin. There's so many posts on Facebook all the time. Yes, Pastor Dave, you need to preach grace and righteousness, but you need to preach repentance. I'm preaching repentance. This is repentance. Metatonia means to change your mind. Renew in the spirit of your mind. How do you renew? How repent? You don't, you don't repent by turning from sin and not turning to Jesus. That's not repentance. That's religion. You turn to Jesus and by turning to Jesus you're turning from sin. I used to walk in sin. I used to walk like the devil, but now I'm turning to Jesus. You know, when we entered this, this room this morning in our house, how did we get the darkness out of the house? We turned on the light. We didn't rebuke the darkness. We just turned on the light and the darkness left. Okay? I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but this is just a major point. I see it all the time in faith. I'm repenting. Yes, I'm repenting. I'm turning to Jesus. And by turning to Jesus, I'm turning from sin. But how do we walk this victory out? We walk it out by walking with it, by calling, yes, in all humility and unity, and walking in the gifts of God's Spirit, edifying one ourselves in love. But we walk in the truth. The truth, you show another truth, and the truth will set you free. You put off the old man, but some people, that's all the repentance they do. Just keep putting off the old man. Keep putting off. But they never put on the new man. <coughs> That's not changing your mind. That's not repentance. Repentance includes not only just putting off the old man, but putting on the new man, who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Hopefully I'm making sense. Where the righteousness of God in him. We'll, we'll build on this truth, but let's go ahead and we'll come back to this. Okay.
Push 25. Therefore, put in a way line and let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So, I want to back up just for a minute. We stop walking like the world. We walk in the truth by putting it on Jesus and renewing our mind. What else do we do? We start telling the truth. Start speaking truth. Speak truth. Why, why are you not going to lie? Why are you not going to lie? Because you've already put that man to death. You put him off. You're not walking like that anymore. You're not walking like the world anymore. You put on the new man, and the new man in you is the spirit of truth, and he always tells the truth. Okay? How do you tell the truth? How do you do this? Be angry and send that. Don't let the sun go down your way. What's another way of saying that? Only thing that is the devil. We're going to get to this next week, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against flesh and blood and ours. Only get mad at the devil. Okay? Goes on to say, don't give place to him. Only get mad at him. Don't give place to him. When there's envy and strife, there's every evil word. James 3.16. If you get an envy and strife, you have just opened the door for every, every evil word. Don't give place to the devil. Don't be a fool. It goes on to say in verse 28, And let him who stood still no longer, but rather, <coughs> excuse me, let him labor working with hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Stop, speak the truth, and be a giver. Be a giver. Don't walk in the like the world, walk in the truth, put on Jesus, renew your mind, tell the truth, and be a giver. Okay. Make if you make your goal giving and living will be no problem to you. See, some people have this attitude: I'm just trying to make a living. That is a horrible way to live. If all you're doing is trying to make a living, then all you care about is yourself. It's a sorry way to live. And we need to quit living that way. We need to live to be a giver. I work hard. But I work hard that I may have something to give. Goes on to say in verse 29, that no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for the necessary education? Speak the words of life. See, if it's not good, you don't need to get involved. Did you hear me? If it's not good, you don't need to get involved. It goes on to say in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, we already established in chapters 1 to 3 that we start from a place of victory. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus cleanses this temple and that the Holy Spirit can dwell. The fullness of the Spirit of God is living inside of you. So don't grieve Him. The fullness of the Spirit of God is living in you, so don't grieve Him. You grieve the Holy Spirit 
when you don't listen to him. You don't listen to that inner witness. You don't listen to the Holy Spirit. See, when you give in strife with your brother and your sister, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to do anything that will violate my relationship with God and His Spirit. I don't want to do anything that will violate and grieve the Holy Spirit who's in me. So how do we do that? We, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we are bitter and wrath, anger, glamour, and evil speaking. We put away from you. Why do you put away? Because you put off the old man. Okay? If you want to stay effective in the body of Christ, and that's what we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4, then you don't get bitter. Don't let bitterness reign and rule your life. Bitterness, unforgiveness, strife will destroy you. They are poison. And instead of being bitter and angry and clamor and evil speaking, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Forgive one another. Let it go. You and I need to learn how to let it go. So we walk worthy of our calling, walking in humility, walking in unity, walking in the grace gifts. We don't live like the world. We walk in the truth. We renew our minds. We speak the truth. We become a giver. And we learn to forgive. I could spend a lot more time with that. But we need to walk in Christ. It says in 1 John 2, 2 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Let me read that again. 1 John 2 6. He who says he, ab he abides in Jesus and God ought himself also to walk just as Jesus God. If we're saying we're in him, then we need to walk like we like he walks. How does he walk? We walk in the truth. We renew our minds. We become a giver. We speak words of life. And we always forgive. We're going to piggyback on some of these in just a few moments as time allows. Let's go to chapter 5 real quick. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We're talking about how do we walk this victory that we have in Jesus? How do we walk it out? The first main point I established already, that we walk worthy of our calling. The second main point I'm making this I made this morning is that we stop walking like the world. And the third main point I'm going to make this morning is that we walk in love. We walk in love. We walk in God is love. We walk in God. We walk in, we let God work in us. Because I'm going to say verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanliness, our covetousness, let it be not even be named upon you as a spitting for saints. We need to guard our 
heart against anything that's sexually immoral. And we need to get God a heart against greed. We need to guard our heart against sexuality and greed, fornication and covetousness. Because they will destroy you. Sexual sin, sexual sin, and greed, fornication and covetousness will destroy your life if you don't guard it. Titus says it this way that therefore put to death your members. Which are actually in Colossians, excuse me. Um, I skipped ahead. I didn't get the wrong page. Colossians says, therefore put to death, mortify your members. What does that mean? Put to death your members, which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is adultery. Okay? I have something in my notes here. Mortify, kill it. Anything that's not, anything you put. Above Jesus is an idol. Anything that you put above Jesus becomes an idol. Okay? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Yes, the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived there. But you don't walk there anymore. And you don't live there anymore. <coughs> okay? You don't live there. You did. You walked there, but you don't go anymore. You were in darkness, but now are in light. Remember our key verse for this morning? You were in darkness, but now you're in light. Walk like children of the light. You live there. You walked there because you lived there. But you're not in there anymore. You don't live there no more. So you don't walk like that anymore. See, there's a place I used to walk. There's a place, there's things I used to do. But I changed my vocation. I changed my location. I changed my residence. I changed my identity. I don't live there. So I don't walk. Now we go to Titus. For the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness and wonder. You know, there's a lot of people think that we're teaching, when we teach grace, we're teaching people to license sin. That's not what grace teaches. That's not grace. Anyone who teaches that doesn't understand grace. And anyone who says that we're teaching that is a liar because they are blind to the Holy Spirit because they have not heard our teaching. I have specifically said many times we do not teach that. Because that's not grace. And you just say, I'm teaching that. Then you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And that's between you and Him. Okay? That's not what we're teaching here. We teach against that. We're teaching the, the grace of God. See, we're teaching. See, a lot of people think that we need to get our life together and then we see Jesus. That's, that's, that's ludicrous. You've received Jesus. We receive His grace, and His grace teaches you how to live. You can't live holy and you can't live holy and righteous without God. You can't live righteously and godly without Christ in your life. You can't live the victorious life until you first receive Jesus, and He makes you holy, and then you live holy. 
we're all about the same goal, living holy. We are, where we defer on is how. Some people think that we do it on our own without Jesus. We teach, we do it because Jesus is living. We put off the old man, the spirit of our mind, we put on the new man. It's all, we're crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the, the life I live, I live by the faith of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm teaching holiness. I'm teaching repentance. I'm just teaching where it comes. But I'm turning to Jesus. I'm turning from sin. And this Jesus is in me. And he's living a righteous life. Not me. I'm walking with him at calling. I'm not walking like the world. I'm walking in love. The grace will teach us to deny godliness, but it will also teach us how to live. It's the same thing when we're back to Romans. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal. When you renew your mind, you may know what that good and set for a perfect will of God is. When you renew your mind, you're going to know the will of God. There's only one way to know the will of God, and you can always know the will of God, and that is by renewing your mind of who you are in Christ. And because I am Christ, because I renew my mind to Christ, I'm living in a brand new identity. I'm living a brand new, in a brand new place, and I'm living in a brand new way. I'm a new creation created in true righteousness and holiness. This is where I'm living. I put off the old man. And I did this in the spirit of my mind. And he is living. Not only did I become truly righteous and holy, this new man who's in me is living truly righteous and truly holy. I live like who I am. I was this. But I'm not living like my old man anymore. I'm living like this. I don't live there anymore. I'm not him. He's dead. I've mortified him. I'm crucified with Christ. I've been born into victory, and I am now going to live like a child of God sitting on his throne. I, I started from a place of victory. I was in darkness, but now I am in light, and I'm going to walk. This is powerful. If you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with addiction, if you're struggling with anything, then you need to just change who you just need to change who you are. You need to get a revelation of who you are in him. Let's go back to verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish stockings nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Stop speaking lies, stop putting down one another, stop fighting with each other, and give thanks. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. I can spend a lot of time with this. But thank God for Jesus. We can run into his presence at any time. If you mess up, you might mess up along the way. You might have a bad day. There might be a day where you let your flesh win. You let your old man have a resurrection service. Well, you come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy in your time of need. 
I'm not magnifying sin, I'm magnifying his mercy. That is fresh and it's new every morning. Do not despise the mercy of our God. By his mercies, we are transformed like a renewed of our mind. By his mercies. Amen. Ephesians 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor garbage man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Don't be partakers of something that you have no business, you have no identity to. Okay? Grace is, grace is not a license of sin. Don't be partakers with them. If you think I'm giving our people a license of sin, you have not listened to one word I've said. You know, again, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. I'm teaching, do not partake with them. What I'm teaching is how to get free from sin. Because he who the concept of free is free indeed. Walk worthy of your vocation. Don't walk like the world. Walk in love. Again, walk worthy of your calling. Don't walk like the world. Walk in love. Love is active. It's a test. We can test our actions by our love. You can read 1 Corinthians and you say, see, love suffers long as kind. Are you? Well, if, this, if this kind of steams like you know some peroxide on, on, on the moon, then, then you're not walking in love. Love doesn't envy, are you? Love isn't boastful. It's humble. Okay? Love doesn't think evil. Those things I don't even think. Love takes no account of evil done. It always believes in the best in every person. Love never fails. I can go down the list. I, know that I didn't do justice with this, this passage of scripture. But you're getting my point. You can take the love test. Because if you're walking in love, then all these will be true. Amen? But love never fails. And I, I encourage you to read this pass the scripture and amplify it and put yourself in it but above all these things put on love which is the bound of perfection walk in love because that's what we've been called to do <coughs> we are called to equip you to through the work of the ministry, but as I body of Christ, so we all come to the, the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we're no longer children talked about every one of doctrine, so that we are speaking the truth in love, and all the way to the point where we are edifying ourselves in love. We're walking in love. Some people think they're mature because they're walking in them gifts. No, you're not. They're gifts. 
They're not gifts based on maturity. They're gifts for you to learn them. You're mature when you let the fruit of the Spirit reign in your heart. And the first fruit of the Spirit is love. You show me a man who's walking in the fruit of the Spirit, I'll show you a man who's mature. Don't, you know, don't, don't come to me saying you're mature because you're a gift, because you're a gift. Don't come to me saying you're mature because you're a pastor or evangelist or apostle. All know you're mature because you're walking in the fruit of the Spirit. You're known by the fruit. If you have to tell me you're a prophet, chances are you're not a prophet. If you have to tell me you're using a gift, more likely you're not using that gift. When you're using a gift, it's just evident. But you are not using a gift because you are mature. You're using a gift because it was given to you. It's a gift. You're mature if you're letting the fruit of the Spirit reign in your heart. So again, walk in love. My fourth point this morning, we're maintaining it all morning, but walk as children of the light. Walk worthy of your car. Don't like walk like the world. Walk in love and walk as children of the light. You were in darkness, but now you are in light. You were in darkness, but now you are in the light. Walk like children. That's repentance, folks. Repentance is not just turning from sin. Repentance is turning from sin. It's turning to Jesus. Even if you never commit a sin, and you all have, you were born in sin through Adam. Repentance is changing your mind that I have put off the old man, and the spirit of my mind I put on the new man. And it's not you, but it's Christ in you who's going to live righteous and holy. Amen? You follow me? That's repentance. I was in darkness. I lived there. That's where I lived. That's what I did. But now, I'm a child of God. I can never pronounce this word, so bear with me. I'm not a schizophrenic. Hopefully I got that close now. I don't have two lives. I'm not two people. Personality. I was in darkness, but now I'm in the light. I was a child of the devil, but now I'm a child of God. Colossians 1.13. thought that was next. What did I miss? Okay, I'm missing the verse here. Anyway, I can just quote it. We were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Bear with me one minute. I just want to see. Okay. Yeah, that's what's it's right here. I had a few going back and forth in my notes, so I don't need to do that. I was, I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness. I was in darkness. We might have that here. But now I'm in the light. I was translated from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Okay? We did not just curse the I said this earlier. We did not just curse the darkness when we came in the room. We just turned on the light. Why? Because the light expels the darkness. See, you don't have to... When you are repenting from turning from darkness to light, you just need to turn on the light. And the darkness leaves. Darkness, scientifically, is just the absence of light. You just need to turn on the light. People say, well, that's a very dark place, Pastor Dave. Well, let's go turn the light on. The darkness will flee. Okay? See, we walk in the Spirit. That's what we're talking about, walking. And you don't move the lesson flesh. You just need to turn the light on. You just need to walk in the Spirit. Because that's maturity. Maturity is walking in the Spirit, which includes self-control or temperance. It's love. Okay? That's what we need to walk in. And if you're not, let me just say this. All who decide to live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you are here to say that, well, Pastor David, I'm not suffering persecution. Well, just turn on a little bit of light, you will. You just turn on a little bit of light and you will suffer some persecution. Okay? If you're not suffering persecution, then chances are you will put your light under a bushel. Okay? That's another topic, but... See, you were there, you were in darkness, but now you're not there anymore. That's not who you are, so stop identifying with that. I walked there when I lived there, but I don't live there anymore. I don't identify with that. That's not who I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm justified, I'm sanctified, I'm redeemed. See, we talked about last week or the last two weeks, I'm chosen. I'm blessed. I'm predestined to succeed. I'm accepting the beloved. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven of all my sins. Live like who you are. See, growing up, many churches that I have heard from through the years, not all of them, but they would preach, preach, repent, don't sin, repent, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, repent, don't sin, don't sin, repent. On Facebook, I see it all the time. Repent, no sin, no sin. Repent, no sin, no sin. Repent, no sin, no sin. And there's none of it talking about Jesus. And all they talk about is don't sin. And what do we end up doing the most? We keep sinning. Why? Because that's all we're talking about. That's all we're focused on. There's no, there's no remedy. There's no solution. There's no Savior. There's only don't sin. Excuse me. Temperance is not a fruit of the flesh, it's a fruit of the spirit. We walk in the spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have to get on the other side of the cross. You talk about repenting, no sinning, but you never talk about the cross. That's ludicrous. That's backwards. You don't just turn from sin, you turn to Jesus. You walk in the light. Okay? We need a new identity. We need a new nature. That's repentance. That's regeneration. I've been regened into Christ. We can't identify with sin.
anymore. We need to know who we are. And when you know who you are because of the blood of Jesus, because you're walking in the light, because you are a child of the light, it changes how you live. You don't even want to go there in sin. You don't even have a thought. It's not how you are. It's not how you think anymore. Those thoughts don't even captivate your mind anymore. See, I'm so focused. I mean, my notes. I'm not so focused on the darkness. I'm focused on the light. I'm not focused on not sinning. I'm focused on Jesus. If I focus on Jesus, I don't even give any thought towards darkness. It's not even there. I walk in the Spirit, and I won't fulfill the lust of flesh. I was in darkness, but now in light, I'm going to walk as children of the light. i got to wrap it up here soon, okay? I'm already over time. For the fruit of the Spirit, he brings the fruit of the Spirit up again. He talks about Galatians and Ray. He talks about it here in Ephesians. For the fruit of the Spirit in all is goodness, righteousness, and truth. So if it's not good, if it's not righteous, and it's not truth, I don't need to be involved in it. I stay away from it. But then he goes on to say, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and having the fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. spend more time there, but I'm out of time here. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, says, Awake! You who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's a lot here. I don't have time to go a lot in detail, but so let me just make it simple for you. What's he saying? Wake up! Wake up to who you are. Light is your armor. See, it says in Romans, and this do, do and do this, knowing the time that now is, it's high time to awake out of the sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor. Folks, light is your armor. Light is your armor. See, light expels darkness. Light repels and overcomes darkness. He goes on to say, walk properly as in the day, not in reverie, darkness, and goodness, and not in strife and envy. See, I'm not trying to find how close to hell I can live. Because if that's how you're living, I question whether you are a believer or not. And I can expound on that. I don't have time. I'm already over time. So I'm going to go right because you, are, you were there. But now you're in the light. So walk like children of the light. Okay? Walk in the day. Not in the night. Wake up. It's daytime. Wake up. Put on, and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. That's deep. This word provision, and it, it means to premeditate a plan. 
having foresight or forethought. See, you don't go from being on fire for Jesus and committing adultery in 10 seconds. No, you can be on fire for Jesus and commit adultery, but between being on fire for Jesus and committing adultery, there was some provision made. Some premeditation made. And some of that could be not having your guards up, not, not guarding your flesh. Okay? In other words, if you stay in the light, you'll make no provision for the flesh. Because you're so close to the light. Stay there! Live there! Walk there! Okay? You don't go from being with Jesus to commit adultery and sin. You allow thoughts to come in. And some of you have not paid provisions to stop watching things you shouldn't watch, listen to things you shouldn't listen, go in places you shouldn't, shouldn't go. If you don't deal with those thoughts, those thoughts will turn into actions. You deal with those in the thought realm. If you don't go there in your mind, you won't go there in the flesh. See, sin is like a snowball. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you, you put on Jesus and don't make any provisions for the flesh, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, you bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That is our spiritual weapon. It's not carnal, it's spiritual. It's how we walk. Okay? So see then that you walk. This is my last point. Hopefully we get through this. I'm already over time. <coughs> see then that you walk circumspectively. So we talk about how do we walk. We walk with your car. Don't walk like the world. Walk in love. What was my... Uh, renew your mind. I think it was. Uh, no, walk in the light. Walk in the light. And then walk circumspectively. Five main points. I had a lot of I had a lot of sub points, but five main points again: walk with your vocation, your calling. Don't walk like the world. Walk in love. Walk in the light, and walk circumspectively. What is circumspectively? Let me just put it this way: What does a circumcised Jew, What does circumcision mean to a Jew? Three things. The first thing that it means is, I'm a, I'm a covenant person of God. Circumcision to a Jew means that they are a covenant person to a person of God. The second thing it means is, I have a destiny. Because I'm a circumcised, I have a destiny. I have places to go, I have people to see, and I have things to do. Therefore, there are certain places I'm not going to go. There's certain things I'm not going to do. And there's certain people I'm not going to see. Or certain things I'm not going to see. Because if I, go, if I go to those places, or I do those things, or I see those people, they are not going to help me fulfill my destiny. And the third thing is, I have favor with God. So if I'm walking circumspectively, I know... That I have a covenant relationship with God. I have a destiny. And I have favor with God. And his favor surrounds me. Everywhere I go. With everything I do. I am blessed and highly favor of the Lord. The favor of God is on me. The favor of God is in my house. The favor of God is on my marriage. The favor of God is on my kids. 
The favor of God is on my spouse. The favor of God is in my church. The favor of God is in my workplace. The favor of God is in my business. The favor of God is in my country, my home. The favor of God surrounds me. I have a covenant with God. I have a destiny. And I have favor with God. I'm walking circumspectively. How do you know his will? How do you know his will? How do you be wise? Not as fools. Okay? You know, the word, you know the will of God because of the word of God. You know the will of God because of the word, spirit of God. You know the will of God because Christ in you. That inward witness. You know the will of God by godly counsel and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You can know the voice of God. You can know the will of God. Alright. Last page of my notes. Hopefully we can get through this. I'm already over. Actually, I'm going to pick it up here right next week. We'll pick up verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16 next week. More. I'll just include this into next week's lesson. But let me just end this in my notes this morning with this. Walk with me this calling. Don't walk like the world. Walk in Jesus. Walk in the truth. Walk in love. Walk in the light. Walk circumspectively in the covenant of God, knowing you have a destiny, that you have a favor of God, and you'll make a difference. You'll make a difference. You'll make a difference. We go down to the last slide. We're talking about victory in Jesus. I was going to end with this, but I was going to lead up to this point. Let me just share this real quick. In Genesis, Isaac sowed in a land, and he reaped a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And he began to prosper and continued to prosper until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great number of servants. More than just money. That the Philistines envied him. You know, when I get back this up with this verse, how I was going to read, let the praise, let peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you, and then the earth shall yield for an increase in God. Our own God shall bless us, and God shall bless us, and the ends of the earth shall fear him. Get your focus off you. And I, I'll, I'll piggyback on this next week. But let your focus be on Jesus. You have victory in Jesus. And God wants to bless you in so many different ways, not just financially. That you become the envy of the world. And this is how God treats his kids. You are blessed. You are a covenant people of God. You have a destiny. And you have his favor. You are children of the light. Walk like that. Don't walk in the, don't walk where you don't live no more. Walk in the light, praising Him, keeping your eyes focused on Him, the author and the finisher of your faith. Walk circumspectively. Walk in the light. Be who you are. Amen and amen. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week talking about
finish this message and then we'll because we're just talking about a few more verses and then we'll be talking about how to stand against the devil. Because we began from a place of victory. We now know how to walk that out. And now we're just going to stand in the arm of his light. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.